This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The FDA is about to be handed the power to regulate tobacco, but it's not clear that Congress's decision is about anyone's health, least of all smokers. While Democrats might prefer to have the climate change debate be governed by sound science, why doesn't it govern the debate over tobacco regulation? Peter Van Doren, Cato Institute Senior Fellow and editor of Regulation Magazine, comments. The Democrats, as you know, are very much in favor of this when it comes to climate change. They argue that Republicans and Republican administrations are ignoring uh, something called the evidence from scientists that if we don't do something about CO2 emissions, the world will end, and therefore science ought to dictate policy outcomes. Now, I have my own quarrels with that, but I just thought it'd be interesting today to show how inconsistent political actors are in their views towards science. They basically like science and scientists if they're sort of on their side in general and they don't actually care about evidence if it doesn't uh, actually help them out. And I think smoking is a very interesting thing, and I want to talk about three sorts of evidence today by economists on do smokers uh, pay for the cost they create for others? That is the classic notion of an externality. Um, two, how aware are smokers of risks? That is, is there any rationale for regulation because smokers are unaware of the risks that they incur? And, and therefore, in, for the past 40 years, we've had what you might call a disclosure regime, which is you have warnings on packages of tobacco products saying, if you, if you use this product, you're endangering your health. Well, how's that worked? Are, are smokers unaware or aware of um, the risks, and sh- do we need to do anything more other than, than what we've done from a disclosure point of view? And then three, the main effect of regulation of tobacco has been to increase prices. We now have a variety of taxes on tobacco that fund some health care programs, this, this, the, the uh, children's health care program being one example, and the Medicare settlement with the states to, to pay for, uh, allegedly to pay for smokers' health care costs, uh, has led to a, a severe increase in the price of cigarettes to pay for that cash flow that's going to uh, the states in that settlement. And I want to talk about how smokers respond to those kinds of price increases. So first, um, Kit Fiscusi, who's an economist who spent his life on studying risk, in particular the risk of smoking, who's been at Harvard and now is at Vanderbilt, has clearly shown that smokers not only pay for their own, the health care costs that, they, that are socialized on their behalf, um, they actually subsidize non-smokers. And the main reason is that smokers pay Social Security taxes and then live a, 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 a shorter life than non-smokers. So the net effect of the taxation uh, on smokers is, is more than enough to pay for the costs they create for others. So they the notion that we need to regulate smoking or ban it or something because, in effect, smokers impose costs on those of us who do not, violating economic notions of welfare as well as libertarian notions of liberty, that the evidence does not support that view. Second, how aware are smokers of the risks that they incur because of their behavior? And the answer, the short answer is basically... They don't only know the risks of smoking, they actually overestimate the risks of smoking. If, if you ask, there have been nationwide and statewide samples of non-smokers and smokers, and they've been very careful to say, out of 100 smokers, how many will die from lung cancer? Um, what's the reduction in average reduction in life expectancy for smokers compared to non-smokers because of a lifetime of smoking? 
Uh, and the answers to those questions are uh, smokers, if you ask them, think that the lung cancer, that out of 100 smokers, uh, uh, 45 to 50 percent will die from lung cancer. The actual answer is only 10 percent. If you ask them what the reduction in life expectancy is, they'll say somewhere between 10 and 13 years. The actual answer is somewhere between 4 and 7. And so, again, is there any evidence that smokers uh, are unaware of the risks and therefore need to be helped by government through some sort of disclosure and or regulatory regime to improve their behavior? And again, the answer is no. The third and and interesting a very interesting study that was in the American Economic Review in 2006 tries to see how smokers respond to tax increases or price increases created by explicit taxation or government regulation. The classic economist's answer to a product that's overconsumed because of bad stuff is to increase the price. And so economists have long said, if there were external effects, which I've just argued they're not, you ought to maybe have a tax on cigarettes of some sort. But the what's interesting is the economists hadn't thought through, would that necessarily improve their health and, ch- and reduce their uh, smoking consumption? Well, what we forgot about is that something called smoking intensity could change. That is, the way smokers puff, how often they puff, how deeply they inhale, and how much of the cigarette they actually smoke. That is, do they get it right down to the butt or not? And so the the short answer to what these economists did is they studied um, smokers very intensively and they monitored the blood levels of metabolites of nicotine, something called cotein. So actually to see how smokers responded to price increases. And the, and the short answer is, for every 1% increase in the price of cigarettes, they increase their smoking intensity by 0.4%, so an elasticity of something like 04 So the effect of the Medicare settlement and the effect of this regulation on tobacco companies that's just been passed by the Congress, which has an explicit set of fees that are going to be on tobacco companies, which in turn are going to raise cigarette prices even more, how are smokers going to respond to that? We're going to, they're going to smoke more intensely, which is actually going to degrade their health. In other words, if you think of cigarette as a rather imperfect nicotine delivery device, last week we talked about e-electronic cigarettes as being sort of a nicotine delivery device with no tar and, and other carcinogenic uh, byproducts, then to the extent that this is about cigarette regulation, then the net effect of increasing the price of cigarettes is going to increase the smoking intensity of smokers, which will in turn reduce their, uh, hurt their health probably in some way. Now, this new bill gives the FDA the authority to regulate the nicotine levels of cigarettes. So here's an ironic twist, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if they'll have the guts to do this or not, because the public or the, the public health community may get outraged. But if you think like an economist, you realize it's not it what you want to do from a public from a personal health point of view is to get nicotine into people with as less smoking intensity as possible so you actually don't want to reduce tar you don't want to reduce nicotine levels in cigarettes you want to increase them so if the fda would actually care about smokers health it, what it might do is mandate <laughs> ironically that cigarette companies, once these nicotine levels are disclosed, which they're going to have to do to the FDA, um, is for the FDA to say to the laggards, you need to increase the nicotine content so smokers will have to smoke less intensely to get their nicotine. The public health community, part of their demonization, essentially, of 
big tobacco was that they had manipulated the levels of nicotine in cigarettes. The notion that cigarettes are a uniform product with uniform nicotine levels with no variance is not true. Uh, If you talk to smokers, they'll tell you they like certain brands for certain reasons, and then scientists have actually studied nicotine levels and and by brand I don't I don't have access that, to that data but I've seen some discussion of it and it's true that nicotine levels vary by cigarette and then there are also chemical compounds added to cigarettes which scientists think that and I think there's evidence that in effect increase the availability of nicotine in the burning process and things like that so they're so they're actually I mean this is a drug delivery vehicle and the dirty little secret is Cigarette companies, in effect, have to satisfy their customers' needs for this. And so there is, I suppose we could use the word manipulation, that strikes me as value-laden, but there there is, um, let's put it this way, the notion that cigarettes simply have whatever nicotine comes naturally from tobacco and that in the manufacturing process there's nothing done to alter that availability through any human uh, knowledge, that's probably not true. So... If you want to call that manipulation, you, you, you can. But the FDA's role here is not to promote only the health of smokers. No, what's interesting is, um, again, if you've followed the, the journal I edit, Regulation, you know the, one of the most famous articles we've ever published is, is uh, something called the Bootlegger and Baptist Theory of Regulation. And, that, and this bill has both those components as well. The bootlegger part is written in the, um, the the guidelines that govern the FDA's decision about any regulation it issues on cigarettes going forward. It is not about the health of smokers. The, 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 the law specifically requires that when the FDA issues regulations under this law, it has to take into account the health effects not only of smokers, but also of non-users. And you're thinking, well, what, what's that about? And then my brain, I said to myself, aha, this is the make sure no entry occurs of new products, i.e., if, if something is, if, if for whatever reason, let's say higher nicotine levels, that a new cigarette comes in that says we have much higher nicotine, you don't have to smoke as intensely to actually get uh, the nicotine you need. It probably would be fairly easy to show that that would help the health of smokers. But to the extent that it would induce some non-smokers to uh, become smokers, since that would reduce life expectancy possibly for the country as a whole, the FDA would then, under, under, the, under the, 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 the language of this law, would in effect have to ban this new product and not allow it, it to market. And, the, and you're saying, well, why? What's going on here? And the answer is Philip Morris, the, the, the company with the greatest market share here, has joined this coalition, i.e. as a bootlegger, to make sure that, in effect, no new products come into the market, which would then degrade its market share and the money it makes from, from, from its cigarettes and other tobacco products. And you wouldn't know it from reading the law the way I've just described it, but it seems to me that it's clear that, um, that, that that's what this uh, uh, directory, this, this direction to the FDA is all about, is in effect, it says that new products can enter the market if they meet certain criteria, i.e. the public health of the entire country is increased. But that strikes me as such a high hurdle to to pass that it's unlikely that any entry will occur. So unless Philip Morris 
introduces a product that not only harms smokers less, but actually improves the longevity of smokers and those around them. And induces too few non-smokers to become smokers so that the reduced life expectancy of the new smokers doesn't offset the life, the increases for smokers, right? That's all that has to occur in order for the new product to be approved. And it's, you know, if you work through what kind of product would fit all those criteria, I think the quick answer is there aren't any, and that's the point. That's the point of this, in effect, it's not about public health at all, this provision. It's about entry restrictions. And I would suspect that um, if, the, if a newspaper did a little more uh, investigative journalism, we could find that this provision was written by Philip Morris. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine and is a Cato Institute senior fellow. You can read and subscribe to Regulation at Cato.org.